Hi, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast Season 2, and I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is a podcast dedicated to all things food, from recipe ideas to interviews with chefs, producers, purveyors, farmers, and people who just love culinary adventures like myself. So join us here on Fridays to explore the world through the lens of food, and together we can share some yummy food, some laughs, and I welcome you here at my table always. And if you're ready, let's go on a food adventure together starting right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller, and this is episode eight, season two. (laughs) If you're new to the podcast, thanks for being here. If you're a longtime listener, merci beaucoup. Uh, You know what I'm about to say. Don't take notes. I've taken all your notes. Go to my website for everything, elizabethrfuller.com. While you're there, check out my amazing food and product photography. It's what I do for a living. So if you need photos, I'm your gal. Shoot me an email. You have questions for the podcast. If you want to be on the podcast, if you need culinary sleuthing of any kind, shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. Tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. And of course, what are we gonna do right now, you guys? We're going on a food adventure. Let's do this. All right, so how was your weekends? Mine was one of my favorite I've had in a long time. Uh, It was one of those weekends that was a mix of absolutely everything I love to do. Being a little cozy at times, going somewhere for yummy food, and laughing until my face hurt. That literally was my weekend. It was so perfect. I hope that every weekend going forward, (laughs) it's a mix of these things. So let me start at the beginning. So I have, owning my own business, I do have a little bit of flexibility when I'm doing shoot prep and doing more like behind the scenes stuff where I don't need to physically hold a camera and be in the studio. I can take my laptop and kind of work wherever in the world I want to work. I just don't necessarily know when those holes in my schedule pop up, right? Because I'm always available to do a photo shoot. (laughs) And so I'm not going to say no to money, right? Money talks. So I told my husband, I was like, hey, you know, I have a little bit of time that like if we wanted to go somewhere, do something. And he's like, I work for a corporate job. Like I need to give, you know what that's like. Like you got to give notice. You can't just leave on a whim. And I'm like, yeah, fair enough. So I then thought to myself, this is Friday morning. I was like, not going on a vacation anywhere warm anytime soon. What can I do? I'm like, I'm taking my taste buds on a vacation. Yeah, you heard that right. We're going on an old school food adventure. And this is exactly where the name of this podcast comes from. So that was Oliver falling on the the wooden floor in the background. Like he just like sighed and was like, she's telling the story again. So I said to Todd, I'm like, hey, do you want to go to Portugal? And he was like, what? I'm like, today, right now, do you want to just go to Portugal? And he was like, sure. I'm like, okay, great. So I found 
in the there's this area near us called New Bedford. Fall River and New Bedford are very, very, very Portuguese influenced towns in Massachusetts, and they have really good, authentic Portuguese food, whether it's from the Azores, whether it's from the mainland Portugal, like the the food is is you're basically in Portugal eating this food, right? So we drove down to New Bedford. We found the restaurant. It was no frills in the best way possible. Oliver just plopped again. He's getting comfy now. The food was so good. Was drinking vino verde and for lunch. Had some great fish. Had some great bacalao. Probably said that wrong, so sorry. Um, then we went and found this really cute uh, Portuguese bakery next door. Had a pastiche de nada. Oh my gosh, it was great, right? And then it was an hour there, an hour drive home. We're home in the afternoon. Crushed a few episodes of that Inventing Anna show on Netflix. Woo, girl. Um, still want to know what happens. We still have like two more left. They're an hour long. They're such a long time commitment. So anyway, that and then Saturday, I got to see one of my favorite people on the planet. One of, one of my cousins, she came over. We had the coziest day, got Thai food, literally cuddled on the couch and watched trashy TV until we couldn't watch trashy TV anymore. We made a huge recipe fail, which I will might as well just get into now. I don't know if any of you guys have Nadia from... Nadia Hussein from the British Baking Show. She has a few cookbooks. This is, I want to say, is her newest one called Nadia Bakes. I've made a handful of these recipes and they've all been good. I don't know where I went wrong with this one. It's this like chocolate uh, rice crispy treat uh, adjacent sort of recipe. I don't, I don't know what went wrong. This thing did not come together at all. So there's no marshmallow in it, which, okay, how is this all going to stick together if there's no marshmallow? And she uses Milky Way bars that you cut up, golden syrup, which is basically for those not in the UK or familiar with it. It's basically like corn syrup, um, like a darker, it's not dark corn syrup. It's not molassesy. It's more of like a caramel flavored corn syrup, sort of. But that consistency and a stick of butter. And that's kind of it. And you melt all that together, mix in the Rice Krispie treats. Oh, and chocolate. Mix in the Rice Krispie treats. And then you take melted chocolate, put that on top of it once you smush it in a pan. And then cut up more Milky Way bars and scatter that on top. And then cool it somewhere, fridge, if it's cold enough, somewhere else, put it in, outside on your, you know, I don't know. doesn't matter. Put it in your fridge. Put it in your fridge. And bing, bing, boom, Rice Krispie treats. No, no. These things did not stay together. They completely fell apart. We were, my cousin and I are sitting on the couch eating it with a spoon out of the container because I was like, it tastes really good. But unfortunately, this is such a disaster of epic proportions. There was no saving this at all. Um, again, tea's really good, just no, no saving it. So that and then Sunday I met up with old friends and one of my longtime best friends who you know from the podcast, Poodle, Nikki, and we had brunch and we laughed and laughed and laughed. And like we were that table 
So we were in this great place called Lookout Farm in, in Natick, Massachusetts, and it's shout out to them. And it's this huge open barn greenhouse that has space heaters in it, super social distance still, um, fresh air is coming through, but the greenhouse keeps you really warm and cozy and the space heaters work great. It feels like you're staring at the face of the sun. And we literally, and like they use a QR code thing. So you, you ding that with your phone. You don't, don't really run a tab. It's just the, you pay as you go kind of thing. And every time somebody would drop off stuff at our table, they would literally be like, we all get off at like three o'clock and we want to come hang out with you guys. Like you guys are so much fun. We were, we, he had friends up from New Jersey. I like to consider them my friends as well. We, we just, we laughed for hours um, until our faces hurt and then went home. So tell me that's not the most perfect weekend. Like I, I had coziness, tons of friend fun time, family time, food adventure time, like such a, such a stellar weekend. Uh, so I hope your weekend was as good. I'm not trying to like gloat and, and whatever for mine, but it was just a really good weekend. It really, truly was. So, okay. What does that have to do with this week's podcast? <laughs> Guess kind of nothing, but that's okay. Let's get into it. All right. All right. My guest today. This is going to be fun. We're talking about home cooking. So my guest today, he is on a mission to show people at home that creating delicious restaurant quality meals is not nearly as hard as it seems to be. He is encouraging everyone to break out of the recipe routine and tune into a place where they can make elegant meals and the confines of their own kitchen. So please welcome to the podcast, Chef Dennis. Hi, Dennis. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me on today. Thanks for coming. I love that you're all looking, we just talked about this before we started recording, warm and sunshiny in your polo. Here in New England, it just snowed <laughs> three inches and now we're getting like torrential rains. So when I was walking, I have a huge golden retriever. When I was walking him this morning, it was one of the most disgusting walks of my life. I'm not going to lie. It was slushy and cold. And like hurricane feeling of like the umbrella just like being like torn inside out. I'm like this. I wish I was in Florida with you right now. I hear you, you know, living the dream. And, and that's actually how we ended up in Florida. We had two Bernese mountain dogs. <gasps> oh, I love that. They they were just amazing. And we were living in New Jersey at the time. And okay. we were out walking them in the ice and the snow freezing. And my wife turned to me and said, you want to move to Florida? And I went, yes. <laughs> Where in New Jersey did you grow up? I grew up in Pomona, which is about 12 miles west of Atlantic City. Oh, okay. So you're Southern Jersey. Southern Jersey. And my uh -huh. wife was a Philly girl. So she went to Girls High. And uh -huh. um, we actually met in Ocean City, New Jersey. I oh, was a cool. chef at a restaurant. And uh, she had actually, her mom had had a house five houses down from me. And she had been there every summer. And this summer she needed, or she was looking for a job. So oh. she became a hostess. Oh, wow. Too funny. Yeah. And I always tell people she shamelessly threw herself at me, but pretty much it was the other way around. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, when a girl knows what she wants, a gal knows what she wants. And I love yeah. that she's got the balls to go for it, literally. Yeah. And be like, hey, take it or leave it. This is who yeah. I am. You want to go were... to Philly? You want to stay here? Take yeah. it. Come on. Yeah. We ended up uh, moving to Oakland, New Jersey, which is right outside of Philadelphia. Okay. Um, 
So we lived there for, uh, how long did we live there? About 12 years. And uh, then finally, like I said, it was just, it wasn't so much the cold as the gray. Yeah. The gray just gets depressing after a while. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it does. I used to live in San Diego. So the only reason I moved back here, I grew up in New England, moved to San Diego for a long time. And then I came back because I missed my parents. And um, then my mother and her husband bought a house in Florida. And now they go down there in the winters, which is the most cold, depressing gray part of living in New England. And they've left me here. So, and my dad is constantly in and out as well. So I'm like, you people, you abandoned me. What the heck? So being from the Southern part of New Jersey probably really influenced your cooking style and your culinary background of what you then gravitated towards what you wanted to cook too. Well, you know, I got the bulk of my training. I had some early on before I became a chef, you know, kind of an accidental kind of training. That's a whole other story. Mm. Um, But I was working in a nursing home as a food service director and my salesman came in and said, hey, you know, this guy's looking for someone to train. Uh, would you be interested? So I took a job making like absolutely nothing and um, worked there. And the first day I worked there, I knew this was a good place for me because I, after the end of the first day, I turned to him and I said, I wish I had been more help. And he said, yeah, I wish you had too. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that was, that was the beginning. And then they had brought in uh he had this big german chef cia trained mm. norman who was very proper and very grim and he was trying to be that role and and i would screw with him just because that's what i did and in you know, a dentist do you know how to clean ducks and i would grab a duck or no i would grab a scrub brush and a can of common and go where are they where are they oh my god you know, and I, I wore him down over time. I got him singing Teddy Bear's Picnic with me on the oh line, and, you know, and um, and actually he hated cooking. Oh, he loved every other aspect of the job, but he really didn't like to cook. I know okay. hate would probably be a strong word. It just wasn't his thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would jump on the line every chance I got. And if the boss, Bob, came back, he would say, what's he doing back there? And Norman was six foot four, 280 pounds. He would just grab me and throw me like a rag doll. And, you know, I was big then, too. And um, then he'd leave and go, all right, cuz, go, go, go back, go back, go back, go ahead, go back. Because he knew I had watched and I knew what I was doing. I had learned pretty. And I had had some skills before then. I just never really let on that I knew mm-hmm. anything. So uh, it was kind of fun. It was an interesting way to start my career. Yeah. And so then from there, you went to culinary school? I did not. Um, I pretty much stayed with them. Well, I was with the family on and off for 15 years, but mm. I stayed with them for a few years and I got a lot of training. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Norman taught me how to cut meat and uh, how to, you know, we, back then we would you'd have a leg of veal hanging and you would just cut it down. Uh, I learned a lot of the skills. I did go to school, but the classes I had, it was an associate's in science. So I learned about purchasing. I learned about scheduling. I learned about all the other aspects of food service. Yeah. The managerial more stuff. Mm -hmm. But my hands-on really was their training, you know, how to, how to do things properly in a restaurant. So, you know, that, that was over a course of a couple of years before I really, I mean, I ended up cooking the end of that season when the owner got stung by 18 bees they put me in the corner i walk in on labor day the busiest oh, day of the year my God. and it says guess who's cooking today i went who he goes you and i went okay oh my god so oh my was, god 
that was my trial by fire graduation. Uh, yeah. But you know, but that was nowhere near where I needed to be. You know, sure. I, so I just kept learning. And, and honestly, I read every book I could find mm-hmm. on Italian on Italian cooking. Mm-hmm. I had a friend a few years later want to open an Italian restaurant. He said, I wanted to be real Italian. I was making stuff. He had no idea what it was. Yeah. <laughs> it went a little too Italian. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, have you been to, you've been to Italy? I I'm, yes. I know many times. And <clears throat> yeah. so the food in Italy, and I grew up, you know, in the Northeast too, which is a very heavily Italian, Sicilian, Southern Italy immigrated uh, population. And the food that co- is cooked here in America is night and day of what real Italian food is. It's not even close. And I've, I mentioned this before in the podcast, like there's no garlic in Italian, in true Italian cooking, you remove the garlic cloves. A lot of the times you might saute a clove half cut in some oil to give it flavor, but you're not going to chop up an an immense amount of garlic. And, and to me, Italian classic, true Italian cooking is just taking the freshest ingredients possible and just letting them sing beautifully in season, very simply. Absolutely. And not a lot of cooking, unless of course you're making sauce and then it's more or less the longer you can keep it on the Mm -hmm. stove, the better it's going to get, but you're absolutely right. Actually the French use more garlic than the Italians do. And that was one of the things, the first things I learned on my first trip over there was like how little garlic they had Mm -hmm. in things. Oh yeah, now, and how it varies region, even yeah. the styles of pasta oh, vary yeah. region to region where you're gonna have, and the sauces vary, the olive oils yeah, vary. Yeah. It's their their cooking is so intensely beautiful yeah. and so like segmented to that particular, sometimes even to that town because they're oh, cooking yeah. so hyper local. It is, it, I mean, gosh, talk about culinary goals. I wish America would embrace some of that European. We, we never will. You'll always see no. blueberries oh, and strawberries God, no. all year round yeah. up here in the Northeast. You'll always see an avocado. You'll always yeah. see because that's just the plane ticket we're willing to pay to ship oh, yeah. stuff in. But there's nothing like fresh produce in season. In when season. You can get it. Yeah, it well, is. Well, that's how we're supposed to eat. We're supposed to eat, you know, uh, it's not that butter is necessarily bad for you. We're supposed to eat butter and more fats in the winter, Mm -hmm. not in the summer. In the summer, we eat lighter with oils. But as Americans, you know, we eat whatever we want when we want. Yeah, because we can. Yeah, Yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And give me more. Give me more because it's this entitlement thing. So Tabley, I mean, we we're going to dive definitely more into your culinary world, but what made you want to become a chef to begin with? Like what, you know, what sparked this interest in, in food for you? Well, I was a little round boy who loved to eat. So that was, that was pretty much it. My mom was a nurse and she would work nights so she could be home during the day. So that meant during the summer or on days off, uh, I would be left to fend for myself. And, you know, I didn't want to wake her up and I would make something for lunch. I'd get on my bike and I would ride to the corner store and I would drop, I would exchange. That's when we used to take bottles back yeah. and we would get money for the bottles. Yeah. And I would buy a box of something and go home and try and make something. And uh, I just always, I always enjoyed eating. So cooking just seemed like a natural segue, you know, it's not like it magically appears. Well, it does. If you have someone who's cooking for you, my wife, my wife thinks we have a magic refrigerator. (laughs) 
<laughs> she'll ask for something. She goes, oh my God, it's there the next day. I know, right? Yeah, I hear you. I'm that person in my house too. I get it. But, you know, I always loved food. It was just, it always spoke to me, you know, mm-hmm. and usually it was eat me, eat me, but it spoke to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, and then I started watching, there was a guy on back in the 60s and he was cutting edge back then, Graham Kerr. He was Galloping the, Gourmet. Gourmet. He was yeah. drunk. My God, that man oh, yeah. so shit-faced on TV. Oh, yeah. I watched that too. And he would be like, how did he not chop off his thumb? Like, yeah. what oh, is I know. he doing? I know. But With a glass of wine yeah. over his hand. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a little and have a little wine. And he was just... He was just so debonair and he yeah. was, you know, this, he'd had the scarf on and yeah. that accent. And he was like, but the biggest part was, was when he would bring people down from the audience mm-hmm. and they would taste it and you would see their faces and they would moan. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, how do you have that kind of power with food? Mm. You know, and, and, and that was who I kind of modeled my philosophy of cooking of early on you know a lot as as you grow and move things change but he was he was uh the american diet was i'm trying to think of which one it was when anyway the ada or one of them marked him as the most dangerous man in america because really yeah because he cooked with butter and cream oh oh heart association the heart association oh my god but look at julia child you know, but dancing you, a raw chicken across cooking with oh, butter and cream, you know, I but mean, you know, Julia was so underrated at the time. She yeah. was just a housewife cooking, you know, yeah. she, Julia was freaking brilliant. Oh yeah. Jacques Papin. I mean, oh. all of them. I, I, to a child of uh, public access, PBS and yeah. watching Yan Can Cook and Julia Child and the Galloping Gourmet and all of that before oh. there was cable. I mean, oh, yeah. what we would watch too. So I totally am with you on that. And I feel like I, those things shaped me as well in my passion. And also you're, you're probably your passion to travel because with food, you want to go and see where oh, yeah. eventually where it comes from and, and understand it even deeper. And when you do, those experiences get imprinted in your mind like no other. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's really special. And food is a common bond. So no matter where we travel, if we don't speak the language, food speaks it. Mm -hmm. We were in Germany and and we were in uh, Munich at, at a, this actually for the day while we were changing planes and stuff and we're walking and we hear music and happen to be like a pop-up uh, umpa festival that happened oh, twice fine. a year and i'm like oh my god and they've got the leader hosing on and they're dancing and we're having and i'm taking pictures and i look and goes where's my wife what happened to lisa i'm looking around she's at a table a long table full of germans having conversation she doesn't speak german they don't speak english and she's waving me over i'm like and i always tell her stop talking to people every time i turn around you're talking to strangers <laughs> A woman after my own heart, I'd be doing the same darn thing, like oh. grabbing somebody's beer and oh, toasting yeah. them. Oh, yeah. Because with between food, charades, and basic, basic things like yes, no, thank you, please, yeah. in another language, you're good for a, a minute. Like you yeah. can get through. Yeah, we, we sat there for about an hour with them. And um, 
had a great time. Turned out one of them was from Australia. So we did have one English yeah. speaker that did some translating. Uh, but the woman she sat next to had a sister, I think, in Los Angeles. And they kept trying to talk little, little bits back and forth. Aww, and it was it was fun. That. That's awesome. But, but uh, yeah, the food really, you know, it, it, food makes everybody happy. Food and drink. Yeah. So, you know, that's all you got to do is try and connect through that. And that's kind of the philosophy. I've carried over into my blogging now mm-hmm. is because we've, we've gotten away from cooking at home. We really have. Yeah. And a lot of it is, we just don't know what to cook and there's no joy. And it's because we'll see a recipe and go, well, all right, I'll make that, but I don't like broccoli. You know, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not happy about it. So I always tell people, you know, if you don't like broccoli, leave it out, mm. you know, these recipes were not brought down from the mountain on stone tablets. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's baking Then baking is science. It's a whole different thing, but, but you can still substitute out flavors yeah. even. In oh baking. God. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you still yeah. have some, but uh, that's one of my things. So I tell people and they don't realize, you know, all right, you like spinach, put spinach in, you know, mm. I use mushrooms a lot. Cause I love mushrooms. You don't mm-hmm. like them. We'll eat them out. No harm, no foul. Right. You yeah, know, absolutely. It, so, so that that's a great segue though, because I'd love to talk more about your blog and, and what you do. I know you have this insane love and passion for helping teach home cooks how to feel probably a little more culinary, co- co- having more confidence culinarily yes. in the kitchen, right? Let's say that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and what would some of your beginner tips be for a newbie who like thinks, because after you've cooked in the kitchen, which we'll get into in a minute, mm-hmm. you're able to intuitively make tweaks and changes a little right. easier. But when you are looking and you're already intimidated at the recipe and you're like, I need to follow this to a T because if I don't, this is going to be a mess and I'm going to waste money and get takeout at the same time. Right. What would some of your tips and tricks be for that newbie beginner? Well, the first tip I would give you is when you try a recipe at home to make something that you enjoy eating. Mm. All right. If you like chicken, find a chicken dish to work with. All right. Find a couple of them. Find foods that you're comfortable with eating, that you enjoy eating and that you're comfortable with in the kitchen. It's always a good idea to try to follow the recipe closely to a degree in terms of cooking and addition of ingredients. But like I said, if, if there's something in that and it's not crucial you know, and, and I'll tell people that sometimes it is, well, it really does need this. But again, it's your dinner. If you don't want it in there, that's your decision to make. You know, I'm not the one sitting there reading it. But, you know, to try and follow it, just to give you a kind of a, a, a baseline. So maybe the first few times you cook, you do try to follow it. You know, don't don't get all crazed out about it. But the the, the best thing you can do to get through a recipe And when I post my recipes, one of the first instructions I give is I set up all my ingredients. You know, in cooking this, we call this a mise en place, which loosely translates to everything in its place. And if you have all your ingredients out, and and I still do this, I mean, I will gather everything and then I'll go cook. I mean, even if I'm cooking at home. But if you gather all your ingredients, number one, you know you've got everything you need. And number two, as you're cooking, you can just boom, 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 right through it. If the process is easier, you're going to go, well, that wasn't hard. 
you know, and, and I do a lot of saute and saute is pretty quick. And if you can cook your dinner in 10, 15 minutes, wow, that's faster than going out for takeout. Oh yeah, absolutely. Or, or, or absolutely. sitting there looking at your watch, waiting for DoorDash to bring you your cold dinner. Totally. And cheaper too. You'll save money oh, in the long run. Big time. Yeah, absolutely. Those are really good tips. I love all of them. And I agree that, like you said earlier, if you don't like broccoli, broccoli nine times out of 10 is not a make or break ingredient in something, but I would challenge you to substitute it for another vegetable that you do like. Try not to leave it out because I feel like a lot of people get, um, maybe in a, cooking rut when it comes to, or just a food rut. And they, cause I'll be honest all day long, we make decisions. And I've talked about this a lot of times on the podcast that you get very fatigued by the end of the day from all these decisions you've made. And so what you want to do is grab something quick and easy. And if you've done a little bit of planning, like you're suggesting, and maybe you have all of the ingredients you can, you can create a quick saute of something, maybe even use a store-bought sauce as a yeah. shortcut, worst comes to worst. Absolutely. You want to buy everything for that. But at least you know how much oil went in your dish, or at least yeah. you know, you know, the, and you, and you can tweak the veggies and they're not overcooked or mushy by the time you get it from DoorDash or something like that. So I think that's, that's wonderful. Now, say you're someone like me or someone, someone very advanced in the kitchen. And I know you have a lot of chef secrets that you really like to talk about when it comes to elevating dishes to that restaurant quality style. What would some of those tips be? Well, absolutely. And I think one of the biggest secret that I like to share is that I use a soup base and I keep a few different varieties of soup base in my refrigerator. And I usually buy miners when I can, because that's what I had in the restaurants. Um, so, and miners was the gold standard for soup bases. You might go, well, I can't find that. He goes, well, you can get it from Amazon most of the time. And it's yeah, not now. something, yeah. yeah, it's not something it has to be refrigerated if it's, but it's something you should kind of put in the fridge when you get it. It's not going to kill it to be out. Uh, but the soup base will a lot of times really perk up a dish. So say I'm making a chicken saute. And I want to put some stock in there. Now, you can also buy those little, those uh, quarts of, of uh, stock at the grocery store, but they get expensive. And I bought some that are honestly really bad because, yeah. I mean, I, I buy them too, but I've opened one and goes, oh my God, what is this? It doesn't even taste like chicken and the color is, it's brown and it doesn't look good and it's just not appealing. So right now I just screwed up my dish. It's going to taste crappy. Mm-hmm. So buying a stock, like I said, miners is my first choice, but actually I found, I did some work for a company and I was a little hesitant at first, but it turned out to be really good. Was It's a company called Better Than Bullion. Yeah, they are really good. And yeah. you can get them in any grocery store. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I just ordered some online because they have all kinds and you can get them direct from them. So before Thanksgiving, I, I couldn't, miners was like nowhere to be found. Mm. I figured supply chain so I ordered some turkey base to make gravy with, and I got some uh, veg- vegetable base, a vegetarian base. So again, even if you don't like cooking with chicken, you can get a nice vegetable base. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say to Addie's, like in the, in the restaurant, when I would cook, I had 
my butter mixture, butter oil mixture that I used to saute. And it would be, you know, about half and half at that point. And I had a vat of chicken stock, a little bin of chicken stock and a bin of clam stock. Mm. So these are what I used to make my sauces with, you know, I had all my mise en place and I had people filling them constantly. I had a table with all my ingredients on it. So it was pick and make. But when I was making like a chicken dish, like chicken marsala or a chicken with vegetables, I would take a ladle of the chicken stock and put it in it. And that would pick up the flavor. And then, you know, add your seasonings to it. And the last tip for thickening the sauce is I always had some softened butter and I had mm. flour because I would always dredge my meats in the flour. So I made what was referred to as a bourmanier, which is basically butter rolled in flour. Mm-hmm. And you just push a lot of flour into it. So you take this hunk and not soft to the point where it's going to get messy, messy, but soft. So you can just mold it a little bit and get it in the flour. And then when you're finishing your sauce, you take this piece of butter rolled in flour and you put it into the sauce and that'll help thicken it. Mm. So that thickens the sauce. So that makes it and the butter. You always add butter at the end. You know, that's that's when you want to use butter. You, you might saute in a little oil but you add butter at the end. Now, if I'm making an olive oil, they say, Dennis, I I don't want to eat butter. I'm trying to be healthy. Well, that's fine. Say I'm making a pasta dish that's just going to be stock. It's going to have a lighter sauce, but I want to add a little oomph to it. Then just like you added butter at the end, after I plated it and put it on, then I'm going to drizzle it with the best olive oil I have in the house. Mm -hmm. And it's always okay olive oil, good olive oil to start with, the best at the end, Mm -hmm. because you're not going to taste it at the beginning. And just like I added the butter at the end, the good olive oil at the end, that's when the flavor profile is really going to help build. So for advanced cooks, you know, those are some of the things I like to do. And to remember Mm -hmm. that we eat with our eyes. Mm -hmm. So keep some fresh chopped parsley or some freshly finely diced red pepper or something to add some color or a little burst to the dish when you serve it, because you can serve a beautiful little dish and it looks, and, it, and it's just, there's no pop to it, but then you sprinkle it with some parsley or basil or, or some color to it. And all of a sudden it looks like, oh, that's happy. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you're speaking my language because uh, professionally I'm a food photographer. So uh, when I get asked like, how can a blogger or somebody who's even taking shots with their iPhone really make their food stand out? I always suggest having fresh herbs, any pops of color that you can add to a plate because it makes it look so much more appealing. Now, when you're talking about these ingredients, Mm -hmm. do you feel that it's important to buy these higher quality ingredients at a specialty store or do you like sourcing them from other places uh, what type of ingredients are we talking like say about? it's like the really good olive oil because grocery okay. store olive oil is different than i mean some grocery stores sell nicer olive oil but if you mm-hmm. want really really good olive oil you want to look where on the back what's the expiration date it needs to have one what's yeah. the country of origin is it a single right. origin country and also depending on where in the world your olive oils from some are more robust flavors than others. And some oh, yeah. work better in other dishes than like a delicate fish dish and, yeah. and things like that. Like, would you recommend going to specialty stores for truffle salts and, and those types of ingredients or just 
Amazon or a regular grocery store. You know, if that makes you happy, do it. Yeah. Okay. It's all about what makes you happy. You know, if you have access to a restaurant store, like it was so funny, we're driving and all of a sudden you would have thought I saw Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or something. I start yelling and happy and no, I'm overjoyed. Well, they had, they opened up a restaurant depot about a, a mile, them. <laughs> about a mile and a half from my house. Oh, I'm man. A, and my wife's going, what, what? Said, oh, restaurant depot, restaurant depot. Yeah. Um, oh, kid in a candy store moment for you, Dennis, for oh, sure. Wow. Absolutely. Um, and we eat way better than we should because of that. So because um, the stuff's so close. Yeah. You know, if, if buying truffle salt at a specialty store, part of the adventure of cooking is how you get there, the journey you take. And if you have time and it's really something you enjoy, the journey of cooking includes going to that specialty store. And talking to the owner or talking to the salesperson and asking them, where is this olive oil from? I remember being in Philadelphia at De Bruno's and then the first time I did an olive oil tasting and he says, they put it in the palm of your hand. He says, now let it warm up. And then just like wine, you slurp it up, you bring it in. Wow. Pepper, grass, you know, the different things you taste is phenomenal. Now, if you can't taste those nuances, just like me with wine, I mean, I can taste them, but they don't, they don't get me that happy. They don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't get overjoyed of us. Oh yeah, it's got some oak. It's got some berry. It's got a little current in it, you know, but I don't sit there and go, oh, what does it have? Tennis ball, fresh cut garden hose. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You could like, you could give it to your golden retriever and you go, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. If that's something that makes you happy, man go for it with every bit of joy you have in your body and, and take it and run with it. It's just like kitchen knives. You know, I don't, well, first of all, I've had two carpal tunnel surgeries. So when I cut, I almost have to use my finger to help with it. Uh, so I don't buy a $400 knife. You know, I actually found Meeson makes knives that I just love and they're like 60 bucks. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, a, it's, it's a good knife, but I mean, I've also worked with Dexter knives, which I thought was funny after the show Dexter came yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. wondering if that's how they named him, but uh, I'm well, maybe. Oh, you never know. Maybe. Yeah. 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 What's, you know, $17 knives a lot of my yeah. life in the kitchens because you had the other thing I had was a knife sharpener. Oh, yeah. So, and they go so quick. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you buy the cheap knives and you sharpen them and sharpen them and sharpen yeah. them. And, and you've always got a sharp knife. So, you know, it, it's what brings joy, you know, mm. like a few years ago, I decided to get rid of every pan I had and buy all clad. Mm-hmm. And I bought, I bought the copper ones too. Yeah, I have those too. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, so it was like, do I need them? No, but do I want them? Yeah. Hell yeah. Do they make me happy? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Do they cook more evenly sometimes? Hell Yeah. Yeah, and you can abuse the crap out of them. And, and as and long they, as you got yeah, go ahead. A can, a can of barkeeper's friend and they sparkle. That's exactly what I was going to say. Barkeeper's friend is the like total kitchen secret cleaning yeah. agent to make your pans look brand yeah. spanking new. And Absolutely. my wife, 
my wife loves it in the bathroom because I'll go to get a, my can of barkeeper's friend. I'm going, what happened to the barkeeper's friend? Oh, I cleaned the shower. You used all of it? I know. I know. You're like, what the? Okay, we need to get more. I mean, it's not me. that it's that expensive. But yeah, it's I know. Like, I know. Wow. It's just like when you want it, you need it and you need yeah. you need it there then. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I polish. We have a stainless steel undermount sink. I'll polish that oh, with yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll it shine anything up. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. cleans. If, if there's a stain I can't get out, even out in the car or something, a barkeeper's friend, I was telling Hell people, yeah. barkeeper's friend, <laughs> try that. Oh, yeah. It'll get anything out. So do you want to answer a couple of listener questions? Oh, absolutely. All right. So April from Instagram writes, I feel pretty comfortable in the kitchen, but I need some dating advice. I want to make something that will impress a date, but won't take all day or that I need to take every single kitchen gadget out to make. Do you have any ideas? One of my favorite dishes to make that I think was the first dish that my wife really loved was chicken marsala. Mm -hmm. Simple dish, really easy to screw up simply because you bought the wrong marsala. Ooh, what do you recommend? Now, every other chef in the world that I've ever spoken to or read about says to buy dry marsala. And I say, nay, nay. Nay, nay. Buy sweet marsala. And not because it's it's not going to be sweet. You don't have to think, oh, wow, is this sugary? No, it's just the different nuance in the flavor Mm. and the sweet nuttiness where the dry is supposed to give you more of that, but this seems a sweet seems to give you more nuttiness. The brand, the preferred brand is Pellegrino. Mm-hmm. Yep. Love Not that. always easy to find. And sometimes no. you'll see sweet and dry and sometimes you just see Pellegrino. So if there's no choice, just buy that straight. Okay. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, there's some other good ones out there, but always try and, and look for that. I'm trying to think of the other brand I like. I know Fiori, I think is one. Mm. Uh, but I mean, if you see Opeachy, that's like the last choice. Yeah, it is. No you know? judgment, but yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah. So I love that. What kind of mushrooms do you use in your chicken marsala? I I like to use just regular mushrooms, but you know, sometimes like I w- white button or cremini. White, white button, but I will use cremini if I have them. You know, and I will use uh, baby bellas. You know, I will use whatever mm. I have in the in the house. Mm. Um, Actually, the the darker ones will give it a little more contrast. You know, it'll, it'll actually mm-hmm. blend in better. Not contrast; it'll blend in better to the sauce. But the other key to using the right marsala. All right, so you know, here we talked about chicken stock. Mm. So you're gonna getting and let's let's start at the beginning. Then. Yeah, let's start at the beginning. <clears throat> let's start at the beginning. All right, so the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna get your chicken breasts. And a lot of times you get like to refer to them as Dolly Parton breasts. They're just too big Mm -hmm. and you need to slice them in half because they're just, they're never going to cook. No. So either you want to cut them in half. And if you pound them out, that's going to be the size of the whole saute pan. So, you know, usually you just cut them right in half to make them about maybe four ounces, somewhere Mm -hmm. in that range, four to six ounces minimum, maximum. So you dredge your chicken breast in flour seasoned with salt and pepper. Okay, you always season the flour. It gives it just a little bit extra chance of adding some flavor to it. Now, why do we dredge it in flour? Because when we saute it, number one, it protects the protein a little bit from the heat of the pan. And number two, it's going to help me make the sauce because the flour is going to stick to the pan a little bit. And that's when I'm going to help thicken the sauce and make the pan sauce from it. So you saute it 
And then as you saute, like I always do one side and then I add the mushrooms in when I turn it and then mm. let them start cooking. All right. So then when the mushrooms are pretty much cooked, that means the chicken's just about done at that point. So now I take my marsala and I hit it with marsala. Now this hitting it with a wine with something cooler than the pan is going to deglaze the pan and deglazing the pan is important because in a restaurant, it would number one, it'll help stop the cooking at that point. So it's not going to keep cooking. Number two, it's going to release all those bits of flavor that have mm -hmm. stuck to the pan. And that might mean even taking a spoon or a spatula and helping it a little, scraping it to get, because that's where all that flavor is now. Yeah. So you want to help pick them up. So now that I have done that and I I can put my stock in and let it cook just a little bit more to finish up. And then it would be ready to go until I'm going to add my bourmonier to it. I'm going to say it. your little knob, your little secret yeah. knob of butter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, um, in a chicken marsala, I don't put any garlic in, but I put a little onion granulated spices. I mean, I have a whole array of spices in my kitchen. The ones I cook with every time are granulated garlic. It's just gar garlic powder, but I, I don't say powder because powder used to be powder yeah. and it would, it would clump. But I yeah. think most companies have gotten away from that. But I have granulated garlic, granulated onion, black pepper. Those are the three three spices that are religiously going to things mm -hmm. all, always. But in the in the marsala, I do not put any garlic in. Mm -hmm. So the uh, pepper and the onion, bourmonier, boom. And then if it needs just a little, I might put just a little splash more marsala in to get that flavor prominent in the dish. Mm. Now, here is the one secret ingredient that'll make it much better. Mm. It's just a dash of heavy cream. Ooh, okay. Okay. If you don't have heavy cream in the house, but you have half and half, that'll work. Light mm -hmm. cream. And not a lot. All we're doing now is we're lightening the color a little bit and we're changing the mouthfeel just a little bit. You, If you put too much in, it's going to give it a, a, a bad mouth taste feel. So you just want to put enough in just to alter it. So I'm talking about like maybe a tablespoon. Right. Yeah. Right. Literally a little tiny splishy splash. This yeah. isn't a ladle we're talking yeah, yeah. yeah. okay Just, okay and that is going to really change the whole dish that's going to that little bit of cream into it is just going to change the whole dish so your chicken marsala is done mm -hmm. you can serve it over pasta if you made enough sauce you can serve it over rice or if you made risotto or your favorite grain if you like uh farro or, or something mm -hmm. other you know something healthier for you yeah uh, you, you can serve it over zoodles if you want to Okay. Who doesn't love a zoodle? Mm. I'm telling you, I know. Mm. So, so, I mean, the options are limitless. Now take that chicken marsala and say, Dennis, what else can we do with that? Well, I'm glad you asked because <laughs> <laughs> by adding oh, some spinach, some spinach to the dish mm -hmm. and maybe have a little prosciutto and some fontina. Now we have chicken salt and boca. You do have chicken salt and boca. With a, and a little bit. I forgot about the sage though. You need a little sage. Yeah, you need a little sage. So you have chicken salt yeah. and boca. I had someone come in one time and asked me to put tomatoes and spinach in a marsala. And I tasted it and went, hey, you know, that's pretty good. So that became chicken marsalina. Chicken marsalina, I call it. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Oh, that's and, so funny. And I then, love that. Yeah. And then one day I was cooking and I had pepperoni in the house and I threw some pepperonis. That is just freaking 
awesome. Really? Oh, I don't know my. if I can get on board with that. Oh, you got to taste it. All right. Okay. Just, I'll taste cause, it. Because I made chicken. One of my dishes I make was what the owner of the restaurant taught me was mm -hmm. chicken pepperoni. And it was okay. from an old, an old movie called Seems Like Good Times with Goldie Hawn and Chevy oh, Chase. Sure. Mm -hmm. And and they made, I forget the maid's name, but it was her famous chicken pepperoni because a governor was coming over. <laughs> and, and they this never- This was a movie from the 70s. Yeah. And, yeah. and they never they never told you what it was, or we never no. saw it, I don't think. So the guy just decided he would make one up that he thought would be a good chicken pepperoni dish. So, uh, so again, you know, when I put the pepperoni, it really, really perks it up. And again, you don't like it. That's fine. Right, 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 right. You I got love some, that. Yeah. Sweet sausage in the house. Put some mm. sausage in there. We used to make a chicken and crab meat marsala. And I would take jumbo lump crab meat and put it into the sauce right at the end and heat it up and serve that over the chicken. That was wonderful. Wow. That's fancy. Now you're fancy. So <laughs> those are great tips. April, I'll put all of that in the show notes for you. David in Connecticut writes, there's something about slowing down on Sundays that I've started to do and really love. I also like cooking, but I feel like I'm in a little bit of a cooking rut at the moment. Do you have any good Sunday recipe ideas that would be fun to make and might take a little bit of time, more than something I would just whip up during the week? Oh, absolutely. Mm. Let's make a bolognese sauce. Ooh, yes. Let's. Okay. Let's make a bolognese sauce and let it simmer for three to five hours. And David, we're going to make enough of it so you can freeze it. And one of those weeknight dinners that you're just bored or don't have anything to make or don't feel like cooking, you can pull one out. Mm. And that bolognese over pappardelle or tagliatelle or a wide noodle, something that you like yeah. to eat or, or, you know, ziti, whatever you want to eat. It's your mm. dinner. Yeah. You know, don't, don't feel like you have to put it over something that's in the picture. Um you know, put it over what you like, or you can make a lasagna with it. Yeah. Or, you know, it, there's a baked ziti dish, you know, with lots of cheese on the top, you know, then you're talking comfort food. Mm -hmm. And okay. a bolognese isn't something that I'll make maybe once every three months, mm -hmm. you know, and then I'll have three or four portions in the freezer. You know, it might not even be that often. And, and again, there's a recipe it, it's got some things in it you might not think like a, a, my bolognese has um, carrots for yeah. some sweetness yep. you know the normal celery and which you normally don't put in a sauce and onions uh, but they're ground up really fine like I put them in a food processor so you're not really going to see them mm -hmm. so but you know and I when use... you cook them so long and oh, low yeah. and slow it just oh, melts yeah. away yeah. What, what are your like meats that you're putting in your bolognese now I like to use sweet sausage and, uh -huh. and beef and ground beef. Oh, okay. 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 You can use ground pork. You can use uh -huh. beef. You know, you should use a combination, but you know, if, if you can't eat pork, just use all beef. It's okay. Yeah. It's or your, veal. It's your, yeah. Or veal. Okay. With veal. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, no judgment it's, either way. No judgment. Well, you know, they've, they've changed again. You're eating a baby animal. That's the whole part of mm -hmm. it now, but, but they've changed how they raise them. They don't, they don't leave them in because I would not eat veal for years because yeah. of how they treated them. And, and, you know, that's a whole other show, but you know, it same is. thing. I'm with you on it though. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's whatever, again, you like to eat. If you want to make a lamb bolognese, you know, I've had, those. Yeah. I've had those too. Now would I, would, I would probably cut the lamb 
at that point with veal since we're already eating a baby animal let's put some we might as well eat two baby animals right yeah Yeah. in for a penny in for a pound dennis yeah because the the veal will help it won't be as strong with the lamb so that'll help mellow it out a little bit but you know it's again it's your taste what you feel like making Mm -hmm. um you know and and, but but a bolognese is something that'll just wonderful do you have one on your uh blog all right i'll do it do you finish yours with cream I do. Yeah. Cream and uh, well, actually it gets cooked with milk. Yeah. And then you, and they finish it with cream and a lot of cheese. Yeah. This is not necessarily a heart healthy dish. Um, Let's just put that out there. So I, you know, if you're watching your weight, this is, but if you also are watching your weight, we do encourage that maybe you eat a smaller portion of this with a very large salad. There's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. Delicious. It's, It's all about moderation. You know, yeah, it's it like, is. we don't eat pasta every night, although I would if I could, you know, yeah. <laughs> if given the opportunity. Yeah. Um, but it's just all about moderation. It's not like you should not enjoy these dishes. And, and if it looks like it's too much for you, there's a little thing on my site on each recipe that has you change the portions. Mm. So you could cut it in half or in a quarter to make what you want to make. Yeah. I just, I just like the philosophy of some items you make make enough of it. So you got a free day in the, yeah. you, know, you don't have to cook. Yeah. And I agree with you. Bolognese is a, is a sauce, much like a beef stew or something like that, that next day it tastes Oh yeah, even better. So if you can make it on Sunday, eat a little, have leftovers on Monday, which yeah. will blow your socks off and then yeah. freeze it on Monday. If you yeah. can wait a day to don't freeze it Sunday, no. freeze it Monday. Yeah, because it will the flavors will be so much more enhanced and deeper yeah. and just whew, chef's kiss yeah. chef's when, kiss whenever I make a bolognese or even a, a marinara not marinara but a spaghetti sauce mm-hmm. I always let it sit for two to three days before freezing because it oh, gives yeah. gives it time to really yeah. build, really build and that's what you want yeah. Evie from Facebook writes, I have zero culinary skills, none. I feel like I can barely boil water. I'm old enough that I feel like I need to be saving a little more money for spending it on eating out so much. Am I a lost cause or is there hope for me in the kitchen? There is always hope for you. Edie, we're going to start making something that you like to eat. And I would start making something as simple as spaghetti sauce. Mm-hmm. You know, something, something that you can make in it now, you know, again, on my website, it's making a big pot because I like to, to make it quick, but you don't have to, a, a marinara is something you can throw together in about 15, 20 minutes, you know, and, and the marinara got its name because it was what the mariners used to cook on ships and it would be fast and it would be fresh. It should be bright red. It shouldn't yeah. cook too long. So it's a matter of, you know, sauteing a little bit of garlic uh, and olive oil and, and put some onion and then adding your can of tomatoes or, or uh, you know what? I used to like to buy those jars of passata. Have mm-hmm. you ever seen those? Yeah, those oh, are the best. I love those. Get a Me jar too. of passata, pour that in there, add some fresh chopped basil, season it up a little, let it cook for about 10, 15 minutes. Done. 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 Yeah. You know if you want to add some sweet sausage to it, you know, if you want to add a little meat to it, or, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to kill anybody if you bought some pre-made meatballs. No, you know, you know until no. you learn, until you learn to make them yourself, you know, don't think it's a horrible thing to buy stuff that's pre-made. It's not, or, you know, you made your sauce, you made your quick marinara sauce, 
because you just wanted to see if you could do it. Mm-hmm. And you bought some ravioli or you mm-hmm. bought some, some manicotti and, you know, or, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of things you can do just to get some confidence in the kitchen. Try making a soup. Soups mm. are, soups are very forgiving. Mm-hmm. And, and again, when I make a soup, you know, it used to be like, let's clean the refrigerator and see what we have in there. Yeah. Uh, all your leftovers. You know, I, I made chicken soup the other day and I says, oh, you'll see some rice in there and some green beans from dinner two nights ago. You know, I threw that in there too. It's it just soup is made to use leftovers. That's what they were created for. But a, nothing is better than a, you know, a nice hearty bowl of soup no. with some crusty bread. Yeah. And, and if you want to really push your limits, look in the grocery store for gorgonzola, for dolce gorgonzola, which is their mm-hmm. sweet, which is less aged and it's spreadable and spread that on your bread when you're eating your soup and just, you know, wonderful. You love big, bold flavors. I th- that's wonderful. I do. Um, you do. I can tell dolce gorgonzola <laughs> on bread as you're eating soup is a very bold flavor. And I appreciate yeah. that. I think another good thing, a place to start would be, like you said at the top, a stir fry. Like oh, just absolutely. Get a pre-made sauce, get some whatever veggies you like. If you like mm-hmm. tofu, if you like chicken, if you like yep. shrimp, whatever it is. You can't screw this up. I can no, promise no, you that, Evie. No. It's it's you're gonna just chippy chop stuff up, toss it in a pan with some oil, saute, saute, maybe even do it in stages so yep. you don't overcrowd the pan. And yep. then at the end, put it all back in, toss in some sauce. You can get even the minute rice, absolutely or frozen brown rice. Yeah, cook that really quick. Boom, dinner's Ca- done. Yeah, cauliflower, cauliflower rice. rice. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. all of that's in the freezer section now too, yeah. which makes it so much easier. Yeah. You know, it's funny you should mention that because my wife wanted to learn to cook, you know, mm. bless her heart. Cooking is not her, her wheelhouse. Sure. Um, but uh, she wanted, she says, I need, <laughs> I need to learn how to cook uh, something. And I, it's one of the things I taught her to make as she loves was a vegetarian pasta because it was just pretty much dicing up a bunch of vegetables, cooking them and adding tomatoes in it and letting it cook. But the other thing was a stir fry. Mm-hmm. And to make it simple, I says, all right, I want you to slice some mushrooms. And then we're going to take this bag of stir fry vegetables that you get frozen in the, yeah. you know, at your grocery store and add them with this. What kind of sauce do you want to use today? General Tso's sauce or, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, whatever type you flavor you want. Add it to it with the chicken, like you said, tofu, shrimp, mm-hmm. if you're on a splurge, mm-hmm. you know, or just vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think those are in, and also in the uh, veggie section, they always have those. If they're more expensive, but if you don't even want to chippy chop stuff up freezer section or in the veggie yeah. section, they usually have like a bag of stir yes. fry cut yeah. up veggies. I would just, if you go that route of the, the veggie section ones, use them day of because they're yeah. already pre-cut. Yeah. They've been sitting there for a minute. Yeah. Just saying, yeah. you don't want to throw anything out. So no. I would use it day of. And, and if you, if for some reason you can't get to them, well, let's make a soup the next day with yeah. them yeah. or, or, th- or throw them in the freezer when you're mm-hmm. done. You know, if you're not going to, mm-hmm. if you're not going to finish them. And then when you go to make your soup, one of the things I worked at a school, the last job I had, and we had a salad bar and the person on the salad bar knew when the vegetables looked a little, eh, you know, they were going freeze them. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. when I made my soups, I'd make my big base of soup, everything fresh going in. And at the end, I'd get all these bags of stuff out of the freezer and dump them in there. And then that would just add volume to it and, and extra stuff to it. So it was, yeah. it was a great way to use up other vegetables. It's a great tip. 
Brian in Dallas, Texas writes, so I don't have a lot of space in my kitchen or a fully stocked pantry. When I look at recipes, I see that I need to buy so many things and I feel like, how am I really gonna save money from eating out? I also could use a little help when it comes to planning. I wanna cook, but it seems like it's actually more expensive sometimes than just eating out. Any help? Well, you know, if you don't have the space, you know, I don't know how limited you are, but again, a pantry does not have to be huge. I, if you give me a 10 by 10 room, I will fill it. You know, we, we just bought a, uh, we, we did a reverse snowbird. We just moved back to Summers Point part of the year in New Jersey. Mm. And the kitchen is small. And my wife says, but you don't have room. I says, look, I don't need the room. But you use all, you stock all this stuff in Florida. I says, that's because I got the room. Mm-hmm. I said, I don't need it all. You can buy stuff. You know, you know, if you go on a European kind of philosophy, you buy stuff the day you're going to make it. You don't really have a lot of things in your house. So, you know, I would keep a pound or two of pasta. I would keep some rice in the house. I would keep a little flour in the house. Uh, and then, like I said, my spices that I use, garlic, onion, and black pepper, maybe some crushed red pepper. You give me those four spices. I, I can live with that. I, you know, I don't need all the ones I have in there unless I'm going to make, we you know, once I decide I want to make something different then I might buy some Cajun seasoning or something else, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or a chili powder, but you know, you don't need that much, Brian. Don't think you do and don't get overwhelmed. You know, you don't need that many pans by have one good saute pan, one yeah. pot, one pot you can cook pasta in one small sauce pot, you know, you can do a lot with that. Uh, and again, the idea is when you go to the market and decide what you want to buy, look for pre-made, not necessarily everything pre-made, but pre-cuts, frozen, things you can use up that won't take, add a lot. You know, again, you're going to pay for the option of having it pre-cut. So just remember that too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I would start start on, depending on what you like to eat. Like if I was going to make something and I didn't have a lot of money to spend, or I didn't want to spend a lot of money, I would look for, and I like chicken. I would buy a little thing of chicken, uh, the tenderloins, a small package of that, small package of chicken tenderloins, maybe buy uh, some mushrooms and a zucchini, one zucchini, you Mm -hmm. know, and and, uh, one clove, one thing of garlic to have in the house. And then I'd make a quick little, like almost a stir fry but with a little chicken stock. And again, if you if you get that little jar, it's a little eight ounce jar of chicken base, you can keep that in a refrigerator for months. Yeah. And again, it's not taking up a lot of room. It's a yeah. very small item. So there's your stock. So that's a dish you can make and you can eat quickly and you can make yourself uh, keep some jarred spaghetti sauce in the house. It's not a, it's not a killer. You know, I, I have some in my pantry. I, mm-hmm. They've been in there for a while. And if I don't use them, I rotate everything. I rotate out. Like I buy, we buy hurricane food in Florida. Sure. So if I don't eat the Denny Moore's beef stew or the canned soups, yeah. <laughs> they go to the food pantry yeah. you know, at the end of the season. Um, but you know, again, you eat what you have to eat to go. But, you know, when you have time to play around and again, if you don't enjoy cooking, that might be part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, may, so maybe if you have a friend come over and have a, have a bottle of wine or a beer or a root beer or, you know, whatever you like to drink and, and have, just have a little bonding time in the kitchen, see what mm-hmm. you can make. And then the two of you, it's, it's easier to find joy when you feed someone else. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. I watch these movies where these chefs go home after a long day in the kitchen and they've got 27 items out on their counter and they're making themselves something beautiful and wonderful to eat. And I'm like, oh no, give me a box of macaroni and cheese. You sound like my husband. Yeah, I know. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, No way, you know? Yeah, no, totally. And I think dovetailing on what you're saying, if you are willing to do a little bit of planning and can think like, okay, Dave, I'll get like a thing of chicken, some veggies, and maybe day one, it's a salad day two that some of those veggies turn into a stir fry. And then day three, some of those things turn into a soup. So then you can have maybe three meals yeah. and you could always make two portions if it's just for you, you know, Absolutely. or a frittata or a quiche. Yeah. Love a good quiche. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, talking about the chicken, if you buy more and you have chicken left over, well, you cook it all yeah. even if you, and, and dice it up and make chicken salad. Right. You know, exactly. Nothing exactly. beats a good chicken salad. So, you know, it's, it's always something you can do and think about it and, and having a chicken salad sandwich and maybe a bowl of soup at dinner is, is not a bad thing either. No. And you're saving, you're saving money. No. And so. a rotisserie chicken too. Oh yeah. Who doesn't love a good rotisserie I'm, chicken? Um, telling you i love them because that's a couple meals right there and then the carcass and what meat's left makes some soup make some soup yep you said it so dennis how can people find you how can they get a hold of you well you can find me on my website and that's askchefdennis.com and if you look on social media i'm ask chef dennis just about everywhere on facebook on twitter on pinterest on instagram on linkedin so you know it's pretty easy you just google ask chef dennis and (laughs) And You'll boom, see. boom, there I am. There he is. <laughs> Poof, he appears. So here's the last question. If COVID wasn't a thing and you had all the money in the world, where are you going and what are you eating? If, if COVID isn't a thing, I'm telling you, I would go back to Madrid. Ooh. Because I went to Madrid a few years ago. First time I'd been to Spain and went to Madrid and I went, I could live here. Wow. I could, and you know, I could live here because the food was freaking phenomenal. They weren't on the coast, but we still got all the beautiful shrimp. They call them scampi or different varieties of shrimp over there. All these beautiful shrimp and the meats and the olive oils, because Spain is really, really big on olive oil. We yeah. don't know. They, they export a lot of it to Italy and different places too. Mm-hmm. Fresh vegetables and the people, the people look like just like us in the States, you know, you go, I go to, I love Paris. Paris is one of my favorite cities in the world, but they're so Parisian. Yeah. yeah they're yeah. very cosmopolitan, like New Yorkers sometimes. Yeah. Some yeah. New Yorkers. Yeah. yeah. And I almost want to say only ruder, but I don't know. If, you know. We don't want to offend any of our Paris listeners. <laughs> no. They yeah. love their country and they yeah. also, they have a, they have a deep rooted love for being. Oh, for and sure. I love and yeah. again, I love Paris. And, and I think a lot of Parisians go, of course, we're rude. We're from Paris. Yeah. You know, it's, that's, that's just yeah. part of being from Paris. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, I loved Madrid and the food I could eat and the different experiences I had, uh, except the fact that I, when I was there, it was 110. Other than, other than that, but I'm, I'm going, wow, this place is every, it, it was, everybody was happy. Yeah. Everybody was, it was midnight. The streets were packed. I'm like, yeah. it was just like, wow. Yeah. That's so amazing. I, yeah. So that would probably be it for now. 
All right. I love it. Dennis, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was such a pleasure to talk with you and get to know you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I, and I hope your, uh, your listeners find some tips. And, absolutely. Uh, yes, you know, absolutely. And we'll link everything in the show notes. I'll see you soon, Dennis. Take care. Sounds good. All right. Bye. bye. Dennis, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this week and giving us all a little bit more culinary inspiration, a little more maybe culinary confidence in our home kitchens. Much appreciated. I will link all of Dennis's information in the show notes found on my website, elizabethrfuller.com. Of course, if you have questions for the podcast, send me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com and tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. You guys, thanks so much for listening. Make some yummy food together this weekend and leave with kindness and I'll see you next Friday. Bye.